Research for what? Hello and welcome to Research for What, the podcast that discusses scientific research, its purpose and impact. I'm your host, Ron Bouvray. Each week, I will interview recognized thought leaders who share the same passion for science and research and invest the energy, time or money. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities for research. I'm also very keen to find out how experts define impact and what methods they use to measure it. Every week, I will ask the question, research for what? Today in this episode, I'm going to talk with Ben Apted, who is a senior partner at Strategic Project Partners, or SPP. SPP is an independent and general management consultant firm based in Melbourne, and Ben leads the education, research and digital practices. Ben, I know you have a keen interest in partnership engagement models between industry and academia, in particular to grow Australia's education and research sectors. What do you do at SPP? I think for researchers, so as a firm, we're passionate about having impact, just like researchers. And the way that we go about that is typically to work with researchers to form large consortia, either in quite fundamental research or forming consortia with industry to solve large problems. So the three, or if I had to narrow to sort of three skill sets that we we try to bring, one is around making a case so that researchers can secure investment for their ideas, regardless of whether they're pure or applied or, or both. Secondly, helping researchers and consortia understand potential markets and applications because we feel that that's a critical skill to be able to properly translate research. You need to know about where it might go. Right. And the third is around valuing impact. With my team, I developed a research impact methodology to try and help quantify and qualify research across social, economic and environmental impact and I could talk a bit more about it if it's of interest to your listeners, but um, I think the ability to value research at a point in time, but also understand where it might go and what further impact might be created is something that I'm particularly passionate about. Great. So if we start, we'll come back to that. But if we go back one step, who are the researchers that come, will come to you? And do the researchers directly come to you? Do the organisations, universities come to you? Who comes to you? It's a, it's a blend of... Researchers, typically senior researchers, professors, associate professors in a particular field looking to collaborate. So they'll, they'll definitely come to us. I would also say it, it would be your DVC research, your, your DVC academic often, or your, your enterprise or, or engagement portfolio who, who just either need some arms and legs or they need some people with really specific expertise to help understand where research application potential might be. So do they come with a particular project? Do they come with a big question? No, they often When come, do they come? Well, they often come just wanting a perspective, not, not, not really knowing whether they've got something, not right. knowing who they might need to collaborate with, or, or coming with an idea that they're fairly clear on, particularly if it involves... I mean, when we started in 2005, a lot of our work was around research infrastructure. So it was about right. making investments in kit, in high technology like life science computation and, and platforms and, and so on. So often it's about help me get the funding to, to purchase kit to enable a field of research to be undertaken. 
And what are their expectations when they come to you? Uh, what do they expect from engaging with you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think that the reason I hesitate is I think sometimes the expectations aren't exactly what they end up needing. Yes. That's, that's the benefit of, <laughs> right. of not, not deploying a, a cookie-cutter approach, I guess. I think they're often just wanting to have their ideas challenged. They genu- genuinely want to know... No, because research is a is a it is a scientific and very creative process. So, I haven't met a researcher that doesn't have a series of ideas yes. for potential applications. I think they need a frame and and often just someone to help structure their thinking a little bit. For example, if we talk about research impact, being able to distinguish between impact that has happened, yes, impact that's likely within a year or two and potential future impact. Now, if a researcher can distinguish between those three things in a quick conversation with a potential investor, I would almost guarantee they will have much greater success in being able to secure investment in their idea than if they focus on articulating the many future potential impacts right. of their idea. So, so we put a frame around the research that they're doing not to constrain it, but to try and help translate it into a language that an investor understands. Right. So, so I've got lots of questions here. First one is obviously to try and define impact. And probably the impact for you is different for a researcher. Is that true? Or for an investor? Do you see a different definitions? No, I, I don't at all. I think that if the definition is different, impact won't occur. Because I believe that impact is in simple terms, it's good ideas applied. Right. So for those good ideas to be applied, there, there actually needs to be a common language. Now, it turns out I don't believe that all researchers should have to speak industry and yes. vice versa. Yes. So that's why you have translators. That's why you have people in universities, in institutes, in firms like ours who can help help translate. So I don't I don't think that the definition of impact is different. However, the value that you quantify yes. related to your impact is absolutely different. So for an investor looking for a commercial return in an idea, the way that they will right. determine their investment is is a different frame typically to the way that a researcher might. So I think I would, maybe it's a hang up, but I would say, Definition of impact needs to be the same, otherwise you don't get that that confluence or, or connection. But the drivers and the way in which you you um, you decide to do something might be a little bit different. Is it the role of a researcher to look for impact? As you say, scientists or researchers are very very good at coming with lots of ideas, at exposing their ideas to their peers, at getting their ideas tested. Do they always think about impact? I haven't met a researcher who doesn't. Right. I think that one of the challenges in our system, though, is that that statement can sometimes be interpreted incorrectly. It can be interpreted as all researchers should have to do applied work. Yes. So, I mean, if I look for examples, I'm going to be significantly simplifying it. But if I look at, uh, must be at least 10 years ago, when, when Doug Hilton, probably longer, joined the, the WeHi, and my understanding is that some of the early ways to start moving to a culture of greater impact was just to ask in grant applications 
what potential impact right. might exist for your idea. Now, if you're asking that question, that's already getting researchers to think about where the potential impact might be. I think the danger is when you start to force it. Do you find a great appetite from investors for research in Australia? Is it easy to find investors and to find people who will facilitate applications of research? I don't agree with a lot of the rhetoric around the investment community in Australia. I think that there is a significant appetite for investment in good ideas. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge is the way in which we package, if you like, package yeah. our ideas, our research, our IP in a way that industry can understand it and invest in it. I think there are there are many, many good ideas in, in Australia and in my mind the real barriers are around. They're, they're not, can quote the OECD stats, we're low on industry yes. investment in research and all, all of those sorts of things, but I think the real, the real issues... Uh, two, one is around qualifying the research that we have and its relevance for translation. And the other, we, we run our grant mindset to investors rather than looking at what are their drivers, what sorts of outcomes are they looking for, what's missing from my research to translate it, such that I might not need to build all of that capability myself. I can go out and find find quality to add to add to it. I don't think we're very good at that. So to me they are they are two real barriers that I'd like to see Australia explore a bit more. But there is no shortage of capital for good ideas. Yes, some ideas will go offshore. I'd like to think we could have more ideas staying here but I don't think the barrier is largely finance. I really like the idea of shifting the conversation to impact. And I assume this is a good part of your job. So how do you talk about impact? So you started to talk about the method methodology in your group. How do you evaluate impact and how do you try and promote it? Or should I, I should start by asking, is it easy to evaluate impact? Oh, I think it is. Yes? Yeah, I think it is if you keep it simple. So, for example, start with a clear understanding of the investor that you're trying to talk to. Is it government? Don't just say government. Which government? Yes. Which right. part of government? Right. Which part of which state government? Be specific. So impact um, can be local, very local. Well, it's less about being local. My, my point is be aware of the drivers. Right of your investor, regardless of who they are. Then ask yourself, what are the most relevant parts of my research that could be of interest to that investor? Mm -hmm. And thirdly, ask yourself, what's missing? What's required to translate my idea so that it's valuable mm -hmm. to that investor? It's three simple steps. Now, so, and this works in, in the policy space as well. I mean, we talk a lot about Category two and three funding. Category two, which is government, public sector investment. Category three funding, which is, uh, which is industry partnerships, non-CRC. So 
often a, a paper, an idea, will have an incredibly well-formed, complete perspective on a policy position. Mm-hmm. Rarely, very rarely, will it be translated in a way that a government policy department can act on it. Right. So when you articulate the potential impact of your policy idea, make sure you know what's going to be required to translate it into policy. How is it going to, how is it going to move through a government process? Does it need one department to sign off on it? Does it need one minister? Does it need several? How much investment's required to actually make it work? Who's going to provide for that? What changes are going to... So, so there's a whole interpretation and translation piece that's often missing. And that's why I would say a thought is not a good idea without consideration of what's required to make it work. So we've discussed this before in this podcast. It, it, we discussed how research or science is presented to end users. And often patients find it difficult to read scientific papers and don't know what to change in their diet, in their life, you know, to, get, to get better, for example. I think, are you describing something similar? Do we have a, can we improve the way we communicate our findings or, and research? I think I think that I think generally yes but specifically well it it depends I think it would be a mistake to say to researchers simplify your right. language yes. when you are involved in really deep technical yes. discussions so there's a there's a bubble yes that me as a layperson I mean I'm extremely interested in the technical detail but I don't want to be an expert yes. technically. So I think now there comes a point where let's, let's say we've got a, uh, some IP that we're talking to a company about. Part of that company is going to be interested in the technical detail because they've got to do the DD yes. around it. They've got to look and see, well, has, is, is the IP protected? Which parts of it are valuable? That They need to get quite technical. But the CEO and the key investor are probably not going to be interested in that. So they need something else. So if I could make a simple point, I think that if an idea is presented, it needs to be able to be communicated to different audiences. So any research idea that's only thinking about communicating one way, in my opinion, is less likely to be yes. taken up. Yes. Because it's not it's not hitting the, the talking points of we are not all interested in the same thing. Yes. I'm wondering whether we're asking too much from researchers. We're asking them to know the drivers, and I know for, for good reasons, right? We're asking them to know the drivers. We're asking them to know the audience. And of course, they have, they have to, so, so that they can communicate what they need to communicate. But do they need help? Yeah, they do. I would disagree with the statement that we're asking too much of them because great researchers do it because right. they know that it's part of the path to impact. Yes. I think that, but I, to acknowledge your point, I think that requiring all researchers to be expert at mm-hmm. all parts of translation, I agree that's a mistake. So what should we ask of them? Maybe another yes. way to put yes. the question. Yes. I feel we should ask them to make sure that the quality of what they produce right. is 
credible yes. and testable and defendable. I think that we should ask them to be aware of the potential impact and to absolutely engage in as many conversations as possible to become more knowledgeable about the path to impact. What are the opportunities, do you think, of this new interactions, engagements? Oh, the biggest opportunity is to join up on the language. But are the big opportunities for the, for the research, for the academic research or for the companies or for both? I think if the conditions we described earlier can be met, it's absolutely opportunities for both. One, one thing I've noticed that's almost disappeared from the vernacular now is company money is dirty money. Right, yes. Yes. You think back 10 years ago, there was a, there was a choice yes. some tried to make. I'm pure. I'm focused yes. on yeah. the grants. Other people will focus on that industry money. I think now the, the culture has shifted substantially. I think there's also greater willingness to talk to industry people. Greater willingness to accept industry money, but also greater willingness to understand and talk to business people, industry people. And perhaps we've just got to understand companies a bit more. Right. I mean, the old saying, you fear what you don't understand. Yes. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a little bit of what's happened here is as we've sought to understand it a bit more, we're getting better at, at working with it. Right. Are there any players we haven't talked about? How about end users? Do we need, how early do we need to engage them in, in, in the conversation? Well, to me, if I apply a strict cooperative research centre definition, an end user is a company that takes up a project, IP, a concept and deploys it for benefit. Could be to customers, could be elsewhere. So I, I think our whole discussion... I wouldn't introduce the term end user because I think we've been talking about them the whole way through. But interestingly, if you, if you throw out the CRC definition of end, end user and adopt a layperson's definition, which is the end customer. Yes. So CRC definition, Colgate's an end user. Yes. My layperson definition, the customer who brushes their yes. teeth yes. is the end user. I think that the more the more that an academic can understand the end customer. I used to work in retail and met a guy in 2001, uh, Paco Underhill, who um, started a business called EnviroCell and he really, he kicked off a movement in observing how customers interact when they walk through a shop, how they interact with the displays, yes. how they interact with the staff, depending on what the staff say or don't say. And to this day, I still think some of the best learning you can get is just by walking out onto a shop floor and understanding how customers engage with the product. So if I'm a researcher and I'm thinking about developing something for Colgate, one of the first things I'd be doing is walking down that aisle and having a look at right. how customers interact with the product, just because I'm curious. Yes. But I think... Yeah, so I think, I think the, um, if that's what you mean by a definition of end users, then I'd say absolutely. Get, get to know the company's customer so that you can be more informed when you talk to the company.
Great. Look, Ben, I had a great time, in particular because I think we painted a very positive outlook for the space between research and end users and all the potential opportunities that there will be if everyone comes together. I just wanted to thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Research for What. To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week. Research for What. <laughs>